0: Amen. Isn't the Lord good? Amen, you can have a seat. Well, as you know, if you've been around the last couple weeks, we are in the midst of a series that we are calling Kingdom First. And every year at Gospel Hope, at the beginning of the year, we like to kind of remind ourselves of what unites us. And so this year we're talking about our mission of making disciples that brings us all together. So a little pop quiz here. If you haven't been around, that's okay. If you have, you got to participate. So our mission at Gospel Hope is to make disciples who are growing in the? As a? While on? Mission. mission. You sound like a cult out there. That's very bizarre, right? Yeah. It really means that a growing follower of Jesus, a growing disciple, is flourishing in three relationships. They are flourishing in their relationship with God. So we say we want to grow in the? Gospel. Where They're also flourishing in their relationship with other believers. So we want to say, we grow as a family. And then lastly, they're flourishing in their engagement with the world. We say, we want to grow on. Therefore, we want to make disciples who are growing in the. As a. While on. There, secret ceremony, you're in. Right, okay. Um, so today, our particular emphasis is going to be on this idea of growing as a family. As I said, this is Connect Sunday. And what that means for us is this is the time of year, we do this twice a year, where we relaunch our community groups. How many by show fans have been in a community group at Gospel Hope already? All right, great, great. So I hope you're gonna get plugged in this morning. And so I'm gonna kind of set the table by looking at Acts chapter two, and then really give you an opportunity to apply exactly what you're hearing by getting connected with a group this morning. Title of the message today is simply together. So can we pray and then we'll open God's word. Father, thank you so much that you have been faithful. Thank you that you have been, as the song said, so, so good. I pray this morning we would be reminded of your faithfulness and your goodness as we look at the pages of scripture. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, by your spirit, Would you hide me behind the cross? Would you open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your law in the precious name of our savior, we pray, amen. Um, How many of you have had one of these bad boys in your house before? Can you see what that is? It is a Lego. How many of you have had one of these in your house before? Very good. Right now, my son, Peyton, is absolutely obsessed with Legos. Legos in the morning, Legos in the night, Legos for breakfast, Legos for dinner. It's Legos all the time. The other question that's really important is, how many of you have had the opportunity to step on these before? Yes, yes, Lord, yes, it's wonderful. If you haven't done that after church, there'll be a demonstration. I'll just leave this on the floor. You can take your shoes off and step on in and feel how wonderful that feels. It's a great way to wake up in the morning. It's awesome. Um, I I bring this up this morning because people can make some amazing things with Legos. Do you know that there's actually a competition in the world for the tallest Lego tower? And the current, current world record holder is in Budapest, Hungary. And it is a whopping 114 feet tall. They had to use a crane to get to the top of it. So this is the world's largest Lego tower currently. You can't like even see the whole thing. It's so massive. What is more, people have taken these little Lego bricks and they have built some spectacular thing. The largest right now Lego model is an X-Wing fighter from Star Wars. It is 23 tons Uh, 44 feet across. And uh, right now I think it's residing in Times Square. It took like 5 million of these bricks to build. Well, I bring this up because, you know, when when Peyton says to me, Dad, can I go play Lego? He doesn't ever say that. He never says ever say, can I go play Lego, meaning singular. He says, can I go play what? Legos. Because these things are built... To connect with one another. And that's, that's where the real fun comes in them. They are built for connection. And can I say this? That's true of humanity too. As a human being created in the image of God, you are created for connection. That's part of being an image bearer of God. We see this on the very first pages of scripture where the Lord says in Genesis chapter one, Turn there in your Bibles, if you would. Genesis chapter one, or you can look on the screen. It says this, God, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit says this, let us make man in our own image according to our likenesses. Do you you notice the pronouns there? Us are. So the father, the son, the Holy Spirit, the communal God says, I'm gonna make humanity as a communal being. Then you fast forward one chapter. God creates the, the heavens and the earth. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars. He creates the fish and the birds. He creates the land and the sea. And he says, all of these things are what? Good. Then he gets to man. And in Genesis chapter two, he says, he says simply this. It is not for man to be. In other words, mankind, humanity is created to connect with other human beings. And this isn't an isolated instance. You don't just see this in the book of Genesis, you see it throughout scripture. You get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and God's people are referred to as body parts, all making up one body to contribute to its health and its being. In 1 Peter 2, God's people are referred to as stones, which when you put them all together, they form a temple, which provides a dwelling place for God himself. In Ephesians chapter three, God's people are referred to as a family, sharing the name and the rights and privileges of the father. The unified testimony of scripture is this, your isolation is not God's intention. God did not create you to live in isolations. Have you ever stopped to consider that there are dozen of commands in Scripture that you simply cannot obey without other people? You ever stopped to think about that? There's a Greek word in the New Testament, and it's a leylon. And it's simply translated dozens of times in the New Testament with the two words, one another. So we get commands in Scripture like love, consider better than yourself, serve, honor You know, you can't do that without another person. It's simply impossible for you to obey the commands of Scripture without there being one another's in your life. God never intended his people to go it alone. Your isolation is not God's intention. Here's how one theologian puts it We should not think of our fellowship with other Christians as a spiritual luxury an optional addition to exercises of private devotions. Fellowship is one of the great words of the New Testament. It denotes something that is vital to a Christian's spiritual health and central to the church's true life. Look at this. The church will flourish and Christians will be strong only when there is fellowship. Connection with other believers, friends, is not icing on the cake. It's the cake. It's not gravy, it's the main course. If I can put it very simply, fellowship is foundational to our faith. You can't do it alone. You're not only not intended to, it is impossible to really live the life that Christ calls you to live without deep and rich connection with other believers. This is something that the early church seemed to have instinctively understood for even as the church experienced explosive growth. Remember, Acts chapter two, we're coming right on the heels of Pentecost where several thousand people are added to the church. Right after that, Acts two reminds us that these early believers continued to stay connected with one another. Or if I could kind of summarize, even as the church got big, even as the church grew explosively, the church also somehow at the same time remained small. It got big and small at the same time. You can see this emphasized even in the vocabulary of our passage this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Look up at the screen with me. There's several underlying words up there, so follow along. Now, all the believers were and held all things in they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to, the, to all and they, as they had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting in the temple and broke bread from house to house. You see the theme there? Even though the church is big, even the church is exploding, they still remain together. And this remains a needed reminder for us. Like the early church, we have experienced a season of change radical change in sense of all of us has experienced the global pandemic right and what was one of the biggest temptations of the global pandemic isolation pull away in fact like there was good and right things about what happened early on in the pandemic and yet some of us have remained like oh I got isolated I did withdraw and I've never got back in the game I just want to argue that's not God's intention you're not meant to live in isolation from other believers. What is more, if you've been around our local body for a season, we're in the midst of a church merger. There's new people. There's different, diverse groups of people. And the temptation can be like, well, I don't, I don't know them. That's hard work starting new relationships. It's easier just to kind of stay with my folks and just kind of be isolated from others. There are temptations around us that tempt us to say, you know, kind of us four and no more. And I would argue based on this passage of scripture and the testimony of scripture as a whole, that this is not how God intends us to live. Think about the early church for a moment. So what was a small band of Galilean fishermen? You know, most of the disciples were from the same region. Most of them shared the same profession. In fact, some of them, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, It seems they all knew each other even prior to being followers of Jesus. And then this group goes from 12 people and overnight almost, kabam, several thousand. And it's not just people like from Galilee, like from Nazareth, all these people that we know. No, no, no. It's people from all over the world being gathered together in this kind of cataclysmic shift in what was going on. I'm telling you, there was certainly a temptation to be like, man, this is is difficult. This is hard. Maybe we should, maybe this is, I don't know what's going on here. This is hard and challenging. There are, to use Pastor Rod's analogy from a couple of weeks ago, there are some construction crones out there, right? And yet, here's what I want us to remember. Who brought all those people together? God. Are relationships sometimes hard? Are relationships with diverse people harder? Yes. Yes are different generations and different ethnicities and different socioeconomic, are all those relationships, does it make it difficult? Yes, and yet it is the Lord who brings his church together. And so therefore we need to say, man, maybe this isn't what I would have chosen. Maybe this wasn't my plan. Maybe I didn't have this in the playbook. Seems like God did, so I'm in it. I'm in it. Which leads me to my point this morning is simply this, we must cultivate community. hear that word? cultivate. It's a verb. You're not just to like kind of sit back and passively kind of, well, I hope I get some relationships. No, you cultivate it. You lean into it. You work at it. You till the ground. You cultivate community. Well, how does the cultivation of community happen? So glad you asked because I think that's exactly what this passage is about. Thus far in our series, we've been reminded that kingdom first people have a deep devotion to the word. They didn't let the word get crowded out at all. But I want to remind us this morning that not only are kingdom first people, people of the word, they are people who are devoted to one another as well. They're devoted to God. They grow in the gospel, yes, but they also are committed to growing as a family. And I think what we see here in Acts chapter two, verses 43 and following is how the church pursued the cultivation of community. So I want to give you a few observations here based on the text of scripture, the characteristics of committed community. And Pastor Rod is not here this morning, unfortunately, because that would have warmed his heart with the triple alliteration right there. That's like a 360 dunk, all right? So what were the characteristics of this committed community of the early church? The first thing is this. I would say it is frequent fellowship. One of the things that stands out is the early church is the regularity of their connection with one another. It seems that these Christians believe that the church is far more than simply an activity they did once a week. Look at the text, verse 44. Every, look above the screen, every, every, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. Verse 47, every, the Lord added to their number, those who were being saved. It seems that these believers did not just share a space for an hour on Sundays. They shared their lives with one another. What's the implication? We must not primarily think of church as something we do, but as who we are. Look, this brick and mortar is not the church. The people are the church. We need to stop thinking of the church primarily as something we come to do, but rather think of the church as who we are. The word church, ecclesia, it means assembly, a gathering. We are the people of God who gather together. This is what the early church believed. They were regularly involved in one another's life. They were regularly gathering with one another in all kinds of different spaces and in all kinds of different contexts. This was part of their life together, (laughs) If you have trusted in the work of Jesus, if you have turned away from your sins and put your hope in what Christ has done on your behalf, here is some information I have to share to you. Whether or you like it or not, these are your people. They are the blood-bought body of Christ. And if you have been invited into that, you don't just gain a relationship with a father, you get adopted into a family. These are your people. And it means that you should frequently be fellowshipping with them. And here's the thing. I know that's not easy. The Bible doesn't say it's easy. The Bible doesn't say like, Hey, fellowship when it's easy. It just says that they were devoted to fellowship. Devoted to something means that it takes some effort, right? Like you don't have to be devoted to things that don't take any effort. Devoted to fellowshipping one with one another and building their lives with one another. Huh? The Bible teaches us that we must simply fight for fellowship because there are all kinds of enemies, busy schedules, distance, distraction, difficulty seem to conspire against us. As the apostle Paul says, make every effort. Does that sound like it's easy or hard? Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Just as a healthy friendship or marriage must be consistently cultivated, so does biblical community. Let let me ask you a couple of questions. Are you earnestly seeking to cultivate community in your life, or you just kind of have the fingers crossed approach to community? I hope I meet someone I like. I hope we click. I hope there's no obstacles, friends, In the words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil, how's that working for you? We must pursue community with others, which means we gotta be in it. Do you come early? Do you stay late? This is Atlanta, none of you come early. Do you stay late? Not just to, to, you know, kind of salve your conscience, but to say, man, there are people here who I need to minister to. You know, is community group like a burden to you or is it like, man, this is is a privilege for me to kind of get involved in other people's lives. And sometimes it's not convenient and sometimes I'm rushing in and sometimes I got to skip supper, but my brothers and sisters are really important to me. And these relationships are really life-giving to me. I think we need to kind of shift our mindset sometimes about the way we think about church. Let me put some images up on the screen here and see if this helps you. Again, Pastor Rod's not here and I'm about to throw him under the bus. Um, Sometimes uh, we can think about church and our role in the church as Popeye's chicken. We're a customer there. We roll in and we expect the service to be good and the chicken to be spicy, which you don't get often because it's Popeye's. Sorry, Popeye's. And so we have this very consumeristic mindset. Can you think about church that way? Hey, chicken better be good today. I'm looking for the green beans today. I'm trying a little more healthy. Make sure you make it right, Pastor Ryan. And we come in here with a very consumeristic mentality, like you better give to me. I'm here to consume my spiritual goods and service. In fact, I'll even pay a little bit to get those spiritual goods and services. On the other hand, this other image is of an owner operator of Chick-fil-A. Now, if you walk into Chick-fil-A and this guy is there and you have a problem, he says, that's my problem. He begins to say, how can I serve? Like, Like, if you go to Popeye's as a customer and there's a problem, you're like, whatever, I just got my chicken. But this guy is taking ownership of it. Why? Because he is the owner. In the same sense, we should think of that in terms of church. We shouldn't come like a customer, we should come like an owner. If there's a problem in the church, it's not Pastor Rod or my problem, it's our problem, because this is our church. We all have a stake in it, in the sense, where we need to say, man, I need to come in with the attitude of not serve me, but how can I serve other people? That shift, that shift in mindset going from a consumer to an owner will help us to really view fellowship in the way that it should. Man, these people are my responsibility. Man, I need to take care of them as best as I can rather than, man, I'm not gonna go hang out with Marcus because Marcus is kind of a drag. That's a consumer mindset. I'm gonna go hang out with Marcus because he's kind of a drag and I'm gonna help him not be a drag. That's an owner option. (laughs) True story. No, just kidding. We need to have this opportunity or this mindset where we say, how can I serve rather than being served? Number two, how did the early church cultivate community by frequent fellowship, but also by group gatherings? I need you to think about this very carefully with me. I'm gonna kind of thread the needle on a couple things here, so stick with me. The early church did not just get together frequently, they did, but they got together in particular ways. Look at the text again. Acts chapter two, verse number 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Did you see it? There's two type of gatherings going on there. There's a large group gathering and a small group gathering. Um, Most Bible scholars believe that here was kind of what was happening in the early church. They would all gather, or a large group of them would go to the temple and in the courts and hear the apostles preach. Well, why did they do that? Well, there were so many of them, that was the only place that could accommodate so many people. We see that on the day of Pentecost. That's exactly what happened. Peter gets up, preaches a sermon to a whole crowd of people there. So they're gathering together to hear the apostles preach and teach. And then what happens? Well, they kind of break up into groups and they're in one another's homes. They're discussing the word, they're eating together, they're fellowshipping together. So there's this larger gathering in the temple and then smaller gatherings in home. And this is not an isolated instance. You skip ahead in the book of Acts to chapter five and it says this, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. It seems that the practice of the early church was to gather in both large and small groups. So you ought to be asking the question, why? Why did they do that? Why did they feel it was necessary to go to the temple and then also go into one another's homes? Well, I think here's the reason. Because at one type of gathering is not able to do all the things that are necessary for our spiritual life and health. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let me, let me give you an illustration. There are some really unique advantages to a gathering like this. We have a large number of people here. Um, there are some really unique advantages. What, what are some of them? Well, we, we get the opportunity of singing praises to God together. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it sweet to be able to gather with God's people and all sing and have the instruments and everything like you couldn't probably do that in your living room, uh, but we have the opportunity to come together and hear, um, hear gospel-centered songs and sing them together. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing that we're able to do together. We're also able to hear a sermon. So we come together together. You know, Lord willing, I've spent some time, or Pastor Rod has spent some time during the week as your pastors, as somebody that you're saying, hey, we're looking to you for spiritual leadership. You've got some training, you've got some experience. We want to hear from our shepherds proclaiming the word of God to us. And because most of you work a full time job, you wouldn't have the time to put this together. So we put this together, we come together, we have this conversation. It's really efficient. I could talk to a whole bunch of people at one time and it is an awesome, awesome thing. In fact, the Bible emphasizes the need for the public proclamation of God's word. This is an important thing that we get to do together. Another advantage is you can kind of scan the room. And you can be like, oh man, it's, it's good to see Lawrence over here. And man, it's great to see Derek over here. And oh, look, there's Jamie. And you can just, hey, how you doing? Great to see you. And it can kind of remind us of our larger unity that we have in Christ as week in, week out, you're able to see kind of just in a brief moment, see your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, don't you like just kind of those brief connections that you get on Sunday, isn't that cool? Yeah. But there's also some disadvantages to the Sunday morning gathering. It, it's very one way, right? This is a monologue, not a dialogue. It's a lecture, not a discussion. Can you imagine trying to have a discussion in a group of this size? We wouldn't get anywhere. We'd be all over the place. And even in a group of this size, any, who's my introverts out here? Yeah, you don't even raise your hand, right? Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't say nothing. Because the group of this size just kind of squash. Well, you, you can't dialogue in a group of this size. Um, what's another disadvantage, man? I can I can come up to Clay and say, Hey, Clay, how you doing? How's your week? Great. Da da da. Boom. I'm on to somebody else, and that's awesome. It's friendly, but I can't be like, Hey, man, Clay, how you doing? That'd be really awkward right now, right? Because I got the mic on. But right. <laughs> but we don't have the time to really dig into some of those relationships. Man, the other thing is some of you, well, all of you in one sense, all of us have gifts, right? And some of you are like super insightful about the word of God, or you're just a very encouraging person. And sitting in a circle of eight or 10 people, man, it allows you to speak in such a way that, man, it's, it's just powerful ministry to other people You might never get up here on stage. I mean, it might scare you to death to stand up on stage and share some of those things, but you can do it in a living room and people get a ton of help with that. There is tremendous advantage to the Sunday morning gathering, but it is not one size fits all. It doesn't do everything that we need it to do. So if I could emphasize this principle, I would simply say it like this. Sunday, Sunday gathering like this is indispensable. We need it. Don't hear me saying like, we don't need Sunday. We need Sunday. We need to hear the word preach. We need to sing together. We need to fellowship with one another at a broad level, but it is insufficient. Sunday is indispensable, yet it is insufficient. And the early church seemed to live this principle out. We need to hear the word preach. We need to swing, sing, but we also need something a little more. It is this principle that has led gospel hope to really emphasize community groups. Well, I'm certainly not arguing. Don't nobody walk out of here and says, Pastor Ryan says community groups are a biblical mandate. No, I don't. But here's what I am saying. I think based on this passage and many others in the Bible, it is a wise practice to give believers a platform, not just where they hear the word of God taught publicly, but an opportunity to build community with one another. Look, we don't have community groups cause I'm like, man, we need something else to do as a church. That's not why. We have community groups because I really believe that there is life and health that the body needs to give to the body and it can't occur in a Sunday morning gathering that is as large as this one. That's why we push so hard to get people in community groups. We wanna build this structure of community groups, this ministry platform to give you an opportunity to receive the discipleship that you really need. Look again at the text, and I'll show you why I think the believers believe this. Look at Acts 2, verse number 45. Now, all the believers were together, and they held everything in common, and they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds. Look at this last phrase. As any had, what's it say? Need. Huh. So how does a church of several thousand people know who has need? Need. The answer is they're getting together in smaller groups. The apostles didn't know, it is impossible. Like we are not a large church. I think we had 350 on campus last week. We're not a large, that's not a mega church or anything. I cannot know, no matter how hard I try, I can't know everything that's going on in the life of our church. That's impossible. But somebody can know. There are people that can know. We need to know one another. We need to stop thinking about the pastor as the primary purveyor of spiritual goods and service. We are all ministers at our church. Maybe not professionally, maybe not clergy, but we all have a role to minister in the body of Christ. And that's the way the body takes care of itself. That's exactly what it says in Ephesians chapter four. The body builds itself in love when each part is doing its work. We need all y'all. So we wanna provide platforms for you to be able to do that work of ministry with and for one another. <laughs> These brothers and sisters were simply devoted to one another. Ministry did not just flow from the, whole, from the apostles, but from the whole body. Let me give you another analogy and maybe a paradigm shift. We need to not think about church as exclusively a five-star restaurant. Let me unpack that. Sometimes we think, oh, church, it's kind of like a, a, a fine dining experience. So I go and I want the chef, the professional to really prepare a good meal for me. Make sure you know everything is all right and tight and it's delicious. And I want the trained professional to prepare the meal for me. And while there's an aspect to that, that where I hope that's true, like I hope Rod and I, as we preach and teach, are giving you good meals week in, week out. We want to do that. We want to provide you with that. But that shouldn't be your exclusive metaphor. We need to also think about church as a potluck. How many of you have been through a potluck before? Yeah. Everybody needs to bring a dish to pass. I don't know who came up with that terminology Dish to pass. So you come in and you carry your crock pot with you. Who who brings food to the potluck? Everybody. Doesn't matter if you're a good cook or not. And some of you are terrible. <laughs> but everybody brings something to contribute. Some of you are really good cooks. And it's like, man, we can't wait till so-and-so brings that, you know, casserole she makes. That's incredible. And, uh, you know, Andrew, you go ahead and, you know, just bring a small portion of what you were cooking, man. Don't don't bring that with you. You know what I'm talking about. But at the potluck, we all contribute. Everybody has something to bring to the table. So yes, maybe the Sunday gathering, we're coming together and the chef is preparing for us the best offering he has. But also we need to think, oh, my life as a Christian is also filled with potluck meals. I'm not just coming to get from the chef. I'm coming to be a chef myself because we all need to learn how to cook because you all got some skills to bring to the table. This is what it means to gather in groups in one sense to say, man, I'm not just a consumer. I'm also a participant. I'm a provider of what is being fed. We have a ministry platform like community groups or Sunday school classes because we want as best as we can to let everyone be the chef. Yes, it's nice to go to a fine dining establishment every now and again. However, we all need to learn to provide for one another One of the ways we cultivate community is not by just gathering on Sunday, as important as this is, but finding ways to share our lives and share the word with one another by meeting in other contexts on a regular basis. I think this was characteristic of the early church. Maybe they didn't have a community groups pastor, but embedded in the life of their ministry was they were regularly gathering together outside of these large gatherings. Number three. Third characteristic of committed community is missional momentum. What happened? What happened as a result of these brothers and sisters loving one another well? Look at verse 46. Every day... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Look at what it says. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. (laughs) So something about the depth of the relationship that these believers had we're causing them to enjoy the favor of all the people and actually causing some people to turn away from their sins and trust in the work of the Savior. Here's the idea. Community, real community is compelling. That's what happened. Outsiders were looking in on what was going on and they were like, how do I get in on that? I don't even understand what you believe but I see the way that you love one another. And I wanna understand more, our community ought to be compelling. And friends, what an opportunity we have right now. We stand at a precipice of having the opportunity to display the reconciling hope of the gospel in a very, very unique way. When Gospel Hope Church started five years ago, we started and we were racially diverse from day one. That was wonderful. And now here we are five years into our history and God is bringing us an opportunity to be generationally diverse. Is it easy? No. Is there potholes? Yes. Is it just this violin music play every time we try to build a relationship? No. Do I love all the meetings? No. But the Lord in his grace is trying to say to the watching world, look at my family. Oh, they're not the same. They don't vote the same. They don't think the same. They definitely don't listen to the same music. They don't dress the same. They have different thoughts about all kinds of things, but they're united on one thing, the work of my son. And I don't have any explanation, the world should say, I don't have any explanation why these people are together. We want people to walk into a service of Gospel Hope Church. We want people to walk into a community group or a Sunday school class and kind of be like, what's going on here? This is strange and I think I like it. Why? Because the gospel is what unites our community. We should love one another so well That the world is like, that is amazing. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 13. This passage is always like, it's so powerful and it's baffled me a little bit. Jesus says to his disciples, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Your instinct would be to say, oh, if you love them. Like everybody will know that you're my disciples if you love them. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus actually says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for. The way we declare the gospel in one way to the watching world is by being good brothers and sisters to one another. It is compelling When the church shows love to one another because the outside world will say, Man, what is happening there? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't love unbelievers. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus places the priority, he says, Do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. So we should consistently be loving our brothers and sisters, not to spite the world, but for the sake of the world. Do you see what I'm talking about there? The best way we love the world is by loving one another because our community is meant to be compelling. You remember the old uh, Cheers theme song? You remember this? Okay, see, look, it depends what service I'm preaching in. Who knows what analogy? The Cheers theme song starts out with, sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. I think that show was so popular in one sense because it it tapped into that idea. But let me tell you something. The place where the world is meant to find community is not the bar. The place where the world is meant to find community is in the church. The people of God who love them like brothers and sisters, anyone and everyone who trusts in the work of Christ is not like our family, they are our family. So let's just be a place that shows the compellingness of the community of Christ by opening our arms wide to one another and saying, man, I'm just gonna love my brothers and sisters well, not just for their sake, but for the sake of the watching world so that we can have missional momentum. All right, so where does this all lead us? Don't you long? Don't you long to be a part of a community that would be so compelling that people would want to be involved? I do, and that is why we are deeply committed to community groups. And I wanna encourage you, here's my application of the sermon, very simply. I wanna encourage you this morning to sign up for a community group. There it is, there's my application. I want you to physically sign up for a community group. While joining a group is certainly not the only way to cultivate community, I think it's a good way. It's a good and wise strategy in order to cultivate community. Our groups, have a mission statement. Here's what they are. Our groups exist to cultivate community. How? By considering the word. One way we can cultivate community is by just getting the Bible open together. By how? By connecting with one another. We want you to have a band of brothers or a band of sisters. We want you to build some relationships there. By communing with God, we want you to pray in those communion groups, pray with and for one another, and finally, by caring for the world. We want you to be engaging with our neighbors, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I think these are priorities that all of us should have as Christians, and this ministry is just structured in order to help you do that. Will we do it effortlessly? No. Will we do it perfectly? No, but at least we're trying. We need to have some structure in our life that helps us to try to pursue these priorities because we need to cultivate Christ-like community in your life. So if you're new to Gospel Hope, here are a few things for you to be aware of about our community groups. Or if you're old to Gospel Hope and tune me out sometimes, here are some things for you to be aware of about our community groups. First thing, it's a temporary commitment. And what do I mean by that? Hey, our groups roll for about five months. So we start one right now. It'll end at the end of school year in May or June. Look, we just want you to plug in for that season. That's it. And then if you want to reevaluate after that, that's fine. We're not asking you to say like sign up and give the next 10 years of your life to this community group. We're just saying, hey, can you give us five months to get plugged in? I think that's really important because look, we just recognize things change. things change, man, if your work schedule change, if your kid starts playing a sport, if something happens to your schedule, no harm, no foul, you can go to another group. That's cool. We're not being territorial about this. We don't care what group you're in. We just want you in a group because we want you around some other people. So it's a temporary commitment. We're not asking you to sign your entire life away. Will you give us five months and see what the Lord does? Second thing, man, we have lots of different kinds of groups. There's uh, about 23 or 24 groups that we have going right now. We have groups that are geography-based, so they meet in a particular neighborhood in a home. We have some groups that are kind of a traditional Sunday school class. They're going on right now. We have groups for uh, men. We have groups for women. We have groups for different seasons of life. There's all kinds of different groups that you can sign up for. Let me tell you about a few of the groups that we have I'm really excited about. We have some groups that have a curriculum. Um, there's three brand new ones that I really wanna encourage several of you to get plugged in them. One of them is uh, a walk through the Old Testament. So if you just say, man, I just wanna learn the Old Testament better for the next five months, man, we wanna encourage you to be a part of that. That's 5.30 on Sunday evenings. We have another group that we're calling the School of Prayer. So if you just really wanna take a step ahead in your prayer life, we're gonna have a group that just meets together. They're gonna study prayer. And then they're going to pray together. That's Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. You can sign up for that. We also have a group called How people change. This group, it, it's phenomenal. This curriculum is phenomenal. It's to help you to know how to help other people grow in their walk with the Lord. So if you're like, man, I really want to be a disciple maker. I want to help people grow in their walk with God. I, I need some equipment. Man, we want to encourage you to be a part of how people change. We have two Spanish groups. We're excited about launching those. Uh, we have uh, several Sunday school classes. So, man, you can see all of those. you got a handout as you came in and you can sign up on those or you can go to the church center app and sign up in that particular location. Another thing I want to point out about our group is, look, um, this is how our pastors care for the church. I I can't emphasize this enough. Um, Even at a church of our size, which is not huge, right? There is no way Pastor Rod and I, or even the group of elders that we have coming on here can care for everybody in the church well. Well, what does it mean? Well, that's why we have community groups because we want people plugged in with one another. And then we are checking in with all of those community group leaders on a regular basis. So every community group will be assigned to an elder or a pastor, and that pastor will have particular responsibility for that. Now, I just wanna emphasize this. There are multiple layers of care that we want to get to you. And the way that we do it is through our community groups. In fact, if you wanna be a member of Gospel Hope Church, we we do say, man, you need to be plugged into a community group because we just can't look after you the way that we want to. First Peter chapter five tells us that pastors will give an account of those in their flock. So this is just kind of our commitment to say, man, get plugged into a group. Even if this is kind of foreign to you or new to you, this is the way that we as your pastor say, man, we really wanna care for you. We wanna make sure somebody's looking after you. We wanna make sure somebody's praying for you and checking in with you on a regular basis. We need you to get plugged into a community group. Next thing, all of our community groups, are broken into what we call DNA groups. That's discipleship, nurture, accountability. Even in a group of 12 to 15 people, it's easy for people to get lost. So what we emphasize is DNA groups, that's three to four men with men and women with women. And at least once a month, you're gathering with that kind of micro group to really go deeper. And in the experience of Gospel Hope Church, that's where some of that magic happens in those DNA groups where people are really getting shoulder to shoulder. They get some dear and precious friendships in there. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a community group. And part of being part of a community group is also being plugged in to a DNA group. And finally, last but not least, when you come in on Sunday, There are study guides. Have you guys seen these? Hold up your study guide if you see them, if you got them in your hand. Okay, I'm resigning right now. Okay, I quit. Look, these study guides are not like for our health. The reason we put those out there is because for most of the community groups, this is kind of the curriculum that you're gonna go through. So we provide those guides so you can jot down some notes during the Sunday sermon, as well as be prepared for a great discussion in your community group. So will you take advantage of those guides, utilize them. Let's have a culture in our church where people are like jotting things out. Like imagine, imagine if a guest comes in here and somebody's up here preaching and they say something profound. So let's pretend that's Pastor Rod because I'm not sure I ever say anything profound. I just say like the same seven things, all right? And, and somebody says something and everybody in church is like, ooh, you know, what's that, what's that guest gonna do? They're gonna be like, ooh, these people are serious about something. What's going on here? So even for the sake of our guest, Let's really utilize those so that we can really be engaged in our community groups well and serve people that are coming into the church. So here's what's gonna happen right now. Um, We're gonna turn some house music on right now, and I'm gonna give an opportunity for you to connect with the group. So when I say go, anybody that's a community group leader is gonna slide to the sides of the room somewhere. You have that handout, And if you're interested in connecting with that group, go have a conversation with them or say, hey, I'd like to join or sign up. The other thing that's gonna happen is up on the screen, there's a QR code. You can scan that with your phone and it'll take you to the place where you can sign up online. So we're just gonna take a few minutes right now. It's gonna be like chaos for a moment. And we want you to get plugged into a group. Can you do that? Can you get plugged into a group today? I'm giving you time during the sermon. You don't even have to do it afterwards. It's during the sermon. So on your marks, get set, go. I really want to encourage you to get plugged into a group. And I'm going to ask the group leaders, when we conclude, if you guys can go back to the walls, and if you need to have a continuing conversation with them, they will be available for you guys to talk to. Here's what I want to wrap up with. Back in that passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, the analogy that Peter uses is he says of God's people that we are living stones that are built together into the dwelling place of God. Um, it's a beautiful analogy and it's so powerful. that Here's the idea. When we connect well with one another, when we have relationships that are solid and connected, the outside world looks in and says something like that, this, surely God is in this place. God dwells among his people. Don't you long for the world to see God through our shared lives together. Be a Lego that's connected. Don't be one on the floor where somebody's gonna step on you. Be a Lego that's connected, not just for your sake, it is for your sake, but for their sake as well. We need to show the world the character of our God. And the primary way the watching world sees our God and our savior is through the shared lives of his people. Let's be a temple. Not in a sacred sense where people come and make sacrifices here. But let's be a temple in which people say, God is there. He dwells with his people. He is among them. And we see his character. And the way that we do that is by being deeply connected. Church, you were created to connect. Let's live out our humanity by connecting with one another well. Amen? men let's stand on our feet and sing the praises of our great god who brought us together